0: I'm going up here. Oh, no, not that high. (laughs) Yeah, go on then. That's great, thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me back. It's cool to be up here again. It doesn't get any less um, intimidating, I've got to say that. And uh, (laughs) I think um, now we're in December, it's officially safe for me to talk about Christmas. And uh, I decided um, that just in case I never get the opportunity to speak again on a Christmas morning or stand up the front for any reason, that I would wear my Christmas jumper. It was a long debate I had with myself this morning, so for you haters out there, sorry. Um, so, but Christmas for me is is a time that I really love. I really enjoy the the make believe of it and the, the sort of hope and the excitement and and believing in impossible things. Every year, I always get excited and hope that it's going to snow on Christmas Day, and without fail, almost every year, I'm disappointed. But I still hope next year. And. Um, and I still like believing that Father Christmas is going to deliver presents down my chimney. I don't have a chimney, but somehow he always manages to find a way into our house. And no one knows anything about it. But it's, it's a time like that, isn't it? When we like to believe in the make-believe, in the magical sort of impossible things. And I was in the cinema the other day and I, I saw a trailer for the new Mary Poppins film. Uh, and it struck me when she said, um, Even the impossible is possible. Um, and that is actually true, isn't it? Because we believe in an impossible God. We are worshipping this morning the God of impossible things. And, and the Christmas story gets so familiar with us, doesn't it? But. But actually, it's a really profound story, and it's full of impossible-seeming heavenly encounters and miracles and promises fulfilled. Um, so I want us to see it this morning as more than just a sort of sentimental story, but, but something that shapes what we believe in. It's part of um, our faith. It's really central to it. Um, And I love that in this series we're getting to look at that story from the perspective of Mary and as I've been studying Mary I've begun to recognize her as a real hero of faith and someone whose bravery and whose trust in God and um, whose vision are a profound example for us as we follow God. Um so this morning we 're in mary 's song, and last Sunday, Martin gave us a, a sort of really rich background and context and he 's brought us up to this point in the narrative of the story and We heard of two heavenly encounters, um, one with Zechariah announcing the birth of his son, John, uh, and one for Mary announcing that she was going to become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit and give birth to Jesus, the Son of God. And, and so that's where we left off last week, and let's pick up that together. The words should be on the screen from Luke 1:39 to 56. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Even as he said to our fathers, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then she returned home. So before we look at this passage in greater detail, I um, want to paint a picture of what Mary was like and help us to see um, and understand a little bit about the person behind the song. And perhaps one of the most striking things we think about when we think of Mary is her willingness to say yes to God's plan, that immediate um, obedience. And her words have become famous with us, be it unto me according to your word. And any of us that have encountered her story before must have considered how crazy and radical and improbable that angel's message would have sounded to her. And I wonder whether any of us reading that story, I know I have, have asked ourselves, like, if we were in her shoes, would we have dared to utter those same words? You know, If God asked us now to do something that seemed crazy or improbable or radical for us, would we have the courage to say, yes, God? Um, so what made Mary say yes? And as a young woman in first-century Middle Eastern culture... Um, It's almost certain that Mary would have had very few choices in her life, but it doesn't seem that she said yes from a place of resignation. And she was almost certainly afraid, and Luke's Gospel says that she was greatly troubled, but her response doesn't seem to be driven by one of fear either. We'll discover when we look more into Mary's song in a minute and when we consider her life, actually, that she was someone who trusted in the God of Israel. She was a devoted follower of her God. She was most likely aware of the promises. Um, she was most likely aware of her heritage and her descent from the lion of King David, and she knew the covenant promises that God had made with Abraham years and years before. It seems to me that her obedience came from a place of trust in a God that she knew and in a God that she loved. Um, And it also came from an undeniable encounter with the living God through one of his heavenly messengers through an angel. And I wonder how much that encounter and those words that she received would have shaped her ongoing obedience and and ongoing willingness to say yes throughout what must have been a really vulnerable, really scary and uncertain experience. Without going into all the different passages, I just want to zoom out of the um, Christmas story for a moment and just paint a little picture of Mary's life. Because after um, Jesus' birth, almost immediately afterwards, we see her become a refugee, frightened and, and on the run. And then we see her as a fraught and worried mother looking for her lost boy in a big crowd. We see her at a wedding party, enthusiastic to see her special son demonstrate his miraculous capabilities. We see her along with other members of Jesus' family trying to intervene in his ministry, afraid, concerned that he's going to get himself into serious trouble. And then we see her at the foot of the cross, bravely standing with her son in that most horrific of moments. And then we see her again after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, gathered with the apostles, with the followers of Jesus in prayer and waiting upon the Holy Spirit. What journey Mary went on from complete and utter surprise to motherhood to follower of Jesus. There must have been moments in her life that were full of complete joy, mustn't there? And there must have been moments where saying yes felt like it was costing her the entire earth. If we zoom back into the Christmas story, we see the faith of a vulnerable young woman who was willing to endure shame and gossip and perhaps even afraid of worse from her community, maybe even from friends and family, for the sake of the Lord. And we see a faith that was willing not to only risk the uncertainty of pregnancy and of motherhood, but to carry the responsibility of mothering and raising the Son of God. If there was ever a pressure on being a good parent, surely that's got to be it, right? Um, Mary's faith was rooted in a place of trust in a God that she knew and that she loved. That's where that faith came from. And there's a contrast between the faith of Mary and that of Zechariah that we heard about last week. Zechariah, in his moment of doubt when he received the promise, he asked for a sign, but he ended up silenced. And Mary, in receiving her promise in faith, asked for understanding, and then she received a sign. And the angel told her that Elizabeth, your relative, um, was going to have a child in her old age. So, Looking at this snapshot of Mary, it's not there to to elevate Mary enough thinking or focus our attention on her, but um, to just understand what's behind the words that we're going to read again in a minute. Mary was imperfect, just like we are, and her story is extraordinary, though, but Mary was... Ordinary, like we are. It's the extraordinary God who is the author of her story that makes it so. And just like (laughs) Mary, that we are simply ordinary, God can do extraordinary things in our lives. So, just want to keep that in mind as we go forwards. And let's pick up at the start of um, that passage again and look at the events that happened, um, following the angel's announcement. It said that Mary got ready and hurried. Um, to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered zechariah 's home and greeted Elizabeth, that was a challenging journey that Mary undertook. It was perhaps three to five days, uh, about one hundred miles, and maybe she traveled on foot, um, maybe she traveled with a, with a caravan it doesn 't tell us it was through hill country. It would have been a vulnerable journey. And she must have questioned with herself, was it you know, the right thing to do, leaving her family and leaving Joseph, knowing what was about to happen, having maybe had some of those discussions with them. Um, but she hurried there. She knew that she had to go. And I think there's a few reasons for that, for that journey. Most significantly, um, Mary wanted to see the promise that the angel had told her about, that confirmation of the angel's message, ultimately to lift her faith about what was about to happen to her. And I think in doing that, she also gave herself time to process that life-changing message away from the immediate confusion and questioning and perhaps criticism from um, the people around her. And she chose to share uh, the journey that she was on and those moments with someone who was walking a similar journey of faith similar hopes and fears and vulnerabilities. Um, Whilst there, the passage describes this beautiful um, and prophetic greeting between Elizabeth and Mary, in which Elizabeth expresses joy within her heart at the very nearness of her Lord. And we see that there is something special happening here, something profound is happening, but it doesn't tell us the whole story. We're kind of left to wonder um, what um, those two women shared for the three months leading up to, to John's birth. The, the laughter, the prayers, the tears, the searching, the questioning, and, and the hope, and the joy, too. I really think that there must have been a level of sort of nervous anticipation in that household um, about these promises that they were believing would be fulfilled, um, I can't help but wonder, actually, when I think of Elizabeth and and Zechariah, whether um, they sort of quietly thought in their hearts of the story of Abraham and Sarah, who are also old and were given a child of promise in their old age, and whether they wondered, is God about to do something as significant as that in their time, in our time? And if they'd have wondered that, they would have been right, wouldn't they? Because God was about to do the most important thing he's probably done in all history. But looking at that little picture there, we need that too, don't we, of sharing our journeys together. We need to be vulnerable with one another. We need to look to our family, our church family and our community and our friendships to walk together through faith and to encourage and nurture faith to grow, to be vulnerable and honest with one another about our hopes and our fears. Um, It was during Mary's stay with Elizabeth that she expressed in worship of God um, what this promise that she was carrying uh, meant for her and her remarkable vision of the kingdom of God, which we know as Mary's song, and that's what we're going to look at now. It helps us to see the song in two parts. The first part of the song, verses 46 to 49 are Mary's personal expression of praise. And the second part, verses 50 to 56, focus on, on what um, this meant for the community. So let's start with, with the first part. There are three themes that emerge in, in verses 46 to 49. They are salvation, um, praise, salvation, humiliation, and exaltation. Mary opens and closes with praise. She glorifies and rejoices... In a God whose name is holy, she turns her attention to God in the midst of an uncertain situation, in the midst of the questioning about what is happening in her life, in the midst of those vulnerabilities, in those hopes, and those fears. It's a beautiful expression of praise that resonates. She then recognizes that the very baby that she's given, his name means to save. It means personal salvation for her. This, this is a personal expression of praise and worship. This isn't just about God who is coming to rescue Israel. This is God coming to rescue her. And then right in the middle of um, the passage, there's a statement about being blessed because God has seen her humble state. And it's a foretaste, really, of what the kingdom of Jesus will be like. One where the humble are uh, lifted up. And we'll hear more about that in the second part of the song. But before we go into the second part, um, I just want to focus on the the concept of humiliation and exaltation there because it's not something that's in our everyday understanding or vocabulary. And um, some of the phrases in the second part of the song I think sound quite jarring unless we take the time to understand what they mean and why they're there. Um, so humiliation in this context is to lose um, or to be brought down. And exaltation is the opposite. It's to be elevated and to be lifted up. So who are the humble? Um, The origin of the word humble comes from, and I might get this wrong, it's hummus. I maybe have said it wrong, but it's not the chickpea variety of hummus that you dip your crisps in. It's the hummus that means the ground. It's a Latin word for dirt and earth. And I was struck by that because I just think that's so beautifully perfect, isn't it? That to recognize that we're created from the dirt and given the very breath of God who created us and sustains us. That's what it means to be humble. It's not about having a state of low self-worth. It's about thinking less about ourselves and putting our attention more onto God, recognizing not what we are but who he is and giving him glory and significance and ascribing worth to him and the proud by contrast are those who see themselves to be of inherent value and without the need for God so let's look at the second half of that song now where similar themes come out themes of mercy themes of salvation and humiliation and exaltation we're immediately introduced to God's mercy It extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. God's mercy, which is his compassion and his forgiveness, is available for all people for all times that turn their hearts to him. Do you know that this is quite a radical viewpoint for a Jewish person who would have been taught that God's mercy was largely exclusive to the nation of Israel? And the song closes with God remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants, Um, just as he promised. And Mary there is seeing the imminent fulfillment of the covenant promises to Abraham in Genesis 22. Um, that through Abraham's offspring, all the nations on the earth would be blessed. That's Jesus. Jesus has arrived. The salvation of God is intrinsically connected to his mercy, and it's in his mercy that he has performed mighty deeds and that he has helped his servant Israel. The saviour that the people of God had been waiting for has arrived. Salvation has come to earth in the form, in the person of Jesus. And then finally, in uh, we see the theme again of humiliation and exaltation as a pattern in the center of these verses, and it's repeated from part one, and it forms the sort of central theme of this whole song. It shows us what Jesus' kingdom is like, one where the proud and the mighty and the rich don't find a place of honor for themselves, but one where the low and the hungry do find a place of honor, a vision for a kingdom where the poor and the outsider, where the needy, where the hurting, where the weak are not just welcomed by God, but they are lifted up from their station. And, and that's us, isn't it? We were needy, we were weak, we were lost in sin, and God has lifted us up from our stations, and he has made us righteous, and he has made us right. With him. And I just want to pause here for a moment and consider actually the outrageous kindness of God. That it's outrageously kind and it is outrageous love that he would leave the majesty, the perfection, and the glory of heaven to come to earth because he so loved humanity that he wanted to save us, that he wanted to walk with us and identify with us and understand us and meet us where we were in our sin and in our brokenness and in our mess. And then he died for us and he rose again to give us life and to give us freedom and to give us victory over sin. That is outrageously kind, is it not? (laughs) you know Mary's song is far more than just a nice hymn of praise it's a response to that outrageous kindness of God it's an example of personal worship and a bold vision of mercy and compassion a bold vision of the kingdom of Jesus and I want to suggest to us this morning that Mary's song should be our song too you know God. Has revealed himself to us in Jesus. And in, re- in our response to that revelation, we are moved to worship him in the uncertainties, in the joys, in the worries, and the hopes and the fears of life. God remains God. He is faithful to his promises. He is a fulfiller of his promises. He's trustworthy and he's good. And when we see it, we can't help, can we but give him glory for that? And our worship comes from recognizing his greatness. But our salvation comes from recognizing our humility that we cannot achieve it ourselves. We need him. We need his help, don't we? We can't save ourselves. And in the overflow of receiving that salvation, we glorify him with praise and with willing hearts and with trust and obedience. Mary Song showed us that she had a bold vision for the community of Israel and beyond, but I doubt even she could have known how far that vision would have stretched. Could she have known that Jesus would eat with sinners and that he would heal the sick, that he would criticize the religious, that he would stand against oppression, that he would empower women, that he would invite children and he would welcome the poor, the humble and the weak could she have possibly known that he would then invite us to do the same? And as the church, as the people, as the children of God, join him in that mission of extending his upside-down kingdom of outrageous love and kindness and of sharing it with everybody that we meet. So I just want to mention and think about, actually, the strategic ways in which we as a church and, and our wider Christian community in this town are already enacting... Um, a vision of compassion and kindness and of justice. Um, I could try and mention them all, but I'll never get them. But there's Barnabas Community Projects, there's Street Pastors, there's Youth for Christ, there's the Alpha Course, the Ark, Grease Monkeys, Soul Purpose, Family Focus. I'm sure there's lots of other initiatives as well that are touching people's lives week on week and seeing circumstances change, seeing hope restored, seeing lives changed and seeing God break in in amazing and incredible ways. And I just, I want to celebrate that and what we're already doing because it's incredible and it's amazing. But I want us to dare to ask God for more, for a bolder vision to reach further and wider and to reach more people with that outrageous kindness and outrageous love. And I think this is where our own yeses come in, isn't it? This is where our, um, as we consider Mary's story and her willingness to be obedient to God, if... God asks us to do something crazy, or God asks us to do something that we feel is out of our comfort zone. Are we willing, are we ready to say yes? What is God inviting you to do in your everyday life? What is God speaking to you about? It's really important that we grasp, I think, that this (laughs) realising God's love and his outrageous kindness starts in our own hearts, actually, through Mary's trust in a God that she loved and encounter with him we've got to trust him and we've got to encounter his love because once we receive that and recognize just how overwhelmingly wonderful Jesus's love for us and that it cannot be removed from us that's the place that this overflow comes from isn't it we, we recognize it in ourselves first but we can't contain it in our hearts it's not just for us it's not my personal gift from Jesus when it fills me up when I recognize how good he's been to me i just want to give it back I want to give it out we can't hold it in and Jesus said about his church and about his people that we would be known by the way that we love one another and so first off I think it pours from us out to each other out to our family out to our church community that that we become shaped and marked by kindness and by love and by forgiveness and acceptance and support for one another but it doesn't stop there. <laughs> Once we capture that, it overflows outside of these walls and begins to touch people everywhere because Jesus' love doesn't get contained by anything. It is too great for that, and he wants it to spread to the world. Um, I would love to hear our church being described as uh, a people of having outrageous kindness, and, and I think that we already are being brave enough and can continue to be braver still to speak to our friends and to our co-workers, to people um, that we meet on day-to-day basis. We can invite people into our lives and our homes. We can love beyond our understanding. We can risk looking stupid or silly in order to be kind to people. We can forgive people when they hurt us And we can give beyond our means and we can say yes even when it feels uncomfortable. I think we are doing great in this already and it's exciting to hear about the different things that's going on next week in Longdon Column and going into town. But I just want to encourage us that there's more for us to do, that God's got more for us to do. And as Mary and Elizabeth sought encouragement from... One another, as they shared that journey of faith together, I want to hear more about sharing our journeys and our doubts and our fears and our dreams together and what god 's saying and challenging and encouraging each other, pushing each other to sort of step out and take risks and say yes to God um, and With that in mind, I heard uh, a little story from a friend of mine on the phone the other day and she 's a member of our church emma barrett she 's not here at the moment because she 's on a, a year out doing a course at a church. In Bedford, Um, but I just wanted to share her testimony because it really encouraged me, and I think it will encourage you too. So, we're going to play a short video for that.
1: Hi, Barnabas. So, as lots of you will be aware, I am in Bedford doing a school of supernatural ministry called TSM, uh, which stands for Training for Supernatural Ministry, and it's a whole year of um, just learning how to hear God and say yes to him and be obedient in what he asks you to do. So as part of my course, I am reading this book called Naturally Supernatural by Wendy Mann. Very good book. Um, And the other day, um, I went to Costa to read said book and have a chill, have a bit of Jesus time, just have a nice Sunday afternoon. Um, So I started reading the book, I read one chapter, and I felt like God said to me, okay, Emma, let's do something that's in the book like let's put some of this stuff into practice let's encourage someone let's you know just go and talk about God to someone now my first response was are you sure God I have only read one chapter maybe you should wait until I've read the whole book um so I actually tried to carry on reading and tried to ignore what God had said um but I couldn't take anything in i couldn't i I was reading but not actually taking anything in that i was reading so i just knew that the holy spirit was saying emma let's just do something like let's let's go on an adventure of what i can do together so i eventually caved and i was just like god what do you want me to do what is it um and I'd been chatting to one of the girls who works in Costa Um, just she just was telling me that she'd had a bit of a tough day that it had been really busy they were short-staffed she was really stressed Um, and God I just felt like God said to me oh you need to encourage these people that are working at Costa you need to uh, go buy them a card and some chocolate just to let them know that they're doing a great job and um, In that moment, I was a bit like, oh, that's a bit awkward, um, because I really like this Costa, and if I do something like that, they'll think I'm a weirdo Christian, that comes to their Costa, and I won't be able to come back. Um, But I just knew, I just knew I had to do it. So I went out, got a card, got some chocolate, um, went back into Costa, um, to which the people working there looked at me as if to be like, you've already been in here today. anyway I went in and it was really busy it was really really busy Um, and I kind of thought oh I'm not gonna be able to say what I feel like I need to say because they'll be too busy trying to serve the other people so I was like oh maybe I don't really have to do this so I remember that I prayed I was like oh if you really want me to do this God then could you just make Costa go really quiet and just you know make it so no one else is here and I am not joking every person left Costa like everybody just got up at once and just left, so I was a bit like, "Oh, okay, clearly I'm meant to do this." Um, and I, I remember I was thinking, "What am I going to say?" Like I don't know what to say, and I felt like God said, "You need to, you need to mention me. You can't just be. It's not about you being kind. This is about me." Um, so I went over to the girl who I'd spoken to earlier, and I just said to her, "Oh." Um, I'm a Christian, I've been reading a book that talks about how God wants to speak to people every day, He wants to love people every day and I just really felt like God wanted you to know that you do a really great job, He really wants to encourage you that He loves you and He thinks that you're great at what you do. Um, And like it was the scariest thing I've ever done and like I have not done that ever before and the girl she was just really overwhelmed she was really lovely uh, she just kept saying thank you you didn't have to do that thank you and to be honest I just really wanted to get out of there pretty quickly because I just felt a little bit embarrassed by what I'd done but as I was leaving I could hear her talking to the rest of the staff about um you know what I'd said um yeah and I just knew that God had done something like I didn't preach the gospel I didn't um get a. to come to my church or anything. I just wanted her to know that God loved her and that's what God wanted her to know too. Um, so, yeah, it's good to say yes to God even when it's really scary. Okay,
0: thanks, I will see you soon. <laughs> she was um, equally amusing as um, she was profound, really. It's, it starts with simple things. It starts with just... Saying yes, it starts with putting ourselves in a position to be willing and obedient to God. Whether he's asking us to be kind to someone in a coffee shop or to go to someone that we'd never ever talk to or to start a project that's going to change the life of hundreds. It's the same stuff. It's putting ourselves in a position to say yes to God. And that comes from first trusting in him and encountering him too. Um, I really want to see us go on a journey of this stuff together as a church, and I can't wait to hear stories being shared um, of stepping out and taking risks and being vulnerable and sharing this journey together with each other. And let God shape this church. That's my prayer that God would shape this church to be a people with a vision of seeing his kingdom break out in our community for his outrageous love and kindness being known by every person in this town. Uh, So as we come to the end, let's just turn our attention back again to the God of impossible miracles, the God for whom nothing is impossible. And we've considered Mary's story in her song and we can share the same response of personal praise and vision for his kingdom. We're encouraged by her obedience, but ultimately all of those things point us to worship the living God. They point us to a God who does impossible miracles, who is so personal that he became human to heal and forgive us. God whose love knows no limits. God whose forgiveness extends to everyone, to all generations. God whose kindness extends to everybody through us. So what is our response to him this morning? And we're just going to move into a time of responding to God in a moment and, and then a little bit of worship. and. This for me is my yes bit really, my being obedient to God because I felt God tell me last week that there should be a response to this but um, standing up here makes me feel nervous and there's nothing I would quite like to do more than say thank you, at the end and dash off the stage to the left. So being here is is vulnerable but I just want to encourage you in a moment if God's been speaking to you through this, if you feel in your heart God's saying something to you to, to be brave when, when I invite you in a minute. Um, So there's two types of response, I think, here today. The first is a response of salvation. Maybe this story has just clicked for the first time and you recognize, actually, that Jesus has come to save you personally and that you've never responded to him yet in your heart. You don't know that he's your savior. Uh, This is an opportunity for you to respond to him. This is a moment for that, and you've been holding off of that for a while. Maybe, I don't know, but... It's a time to say yes to God. But then I think there's a second response as well for those of us that are ready to say yes to God, asking us to do, to step out, to take risks, to be obedient. Maybe God's putting things on your heart, or maybe it's just in those everyday moments that you want to have the courage to go, yes, God, I'll talk to that person. Yes, God, I'll share your love there. Yes, God, I'll be your hands and your feet there. Yes, God, I'll be your salt and your light there. Um, So, if that's been speaking to any of you, um, I'm going to just invite the worship team to to come back up to the stage with me. And um, I would really like to invite you to be brave and to just stand where you are. That's really great. Thank you so much for standing and for being brave. Um, I wrote on my notes here, wait, breathe. (laughs) (laughs) I really want to pray for you guys. And um, so John's going to play some piano. And um, I'm going to pray for everybody. And then after I've prayed, we can all stand and worship God together. Father, I want to thank you for the incredible gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that, God, you became personal. You reached down into humanity's brokenness. You've reached into the mess of our lives, Lord, to save us. Thank you for dying on a cross for us. Thank you for raising again so that we can have life in you, eternal life in you, Lord. And I just want to thank you for every response that's been made this morning. You know the hearts of every individual here. And you see those people saying yes being obedient to you and I want to ask you this morning that you would bless every person stood Lord would you fill them up with your Holy Spirit I pray you would give each person here courage to continue saying yes to you even when it gets tough and to not turn back from that decision Lord I just love it that you delight in us when we're obedient to you You delight in us when we say yes and I pray Lord that every person stood here would feel just a tangible sense of your delight in them of your love for them and lord i ask that you would give resources and vision to extend your kingdom in our town and our community in new ways in radical ways i pray for holy spirit filled boldness that would enable mouths to share the gospel to speak the truth in love to speak forgiveness when it hurts us, when it costs, and to challenge injustice. Lord, would you let mercy fall in this town? And Father, in this obedient moment, would you equip us to be your hands and your feet, to be salt and light in our community? Would you increase our love for others so much so, Lord, that we would be known by people of outrageous kindness, outrageous love? In Jesus' name, amen. Just before we stand to worship, if, if you stood up and responded to that, if you want to receive prayer, the prayer team are here at the end, particularly if it was a response of salvation for the first time. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the leaders of the church here or to the prayer team. We'd love to pray with you about that. But I think it's time for us to all stand up together as uh, Anna and John lead us in worship. Thank you.